were called kings and priests, or in some translations, a kingdom of priests. So however you, however you dissect that, we're called to be priests. We'll deal with the kings another time. But what that means doesn't mean that we wear robes and burn incense. Although if you want to do that, feel free. But that's not what it means. What it means is that you're called to be intercessors as the priests were for the people under the old covenant. And we only have one high priest, and that's Jesus. We only have one who was able to go into the Holy of Holies and bring eternal redemption through his own blood. He was the high priest and he was the sacrifice. So it's a phenomenal thing. It's mind-blowing when you think about it. That he went in with his own blood. The high priest and the lamb that shed his blood. Phenomenal. But as priests, so as priests, we never do that. We never pay for people's sins. But we get to intercede and to carry those to our high priest, to the, to the altar. So what I'm, what I'm saying to you by that is this. You know, there's this, this independent mindset especially in the Western church, which we are a part of, that says everyone's got to deal with their own stuff. It's not my responsibility. Well, that mind, with that mindset, you'll never fulfill your role as a priest in the body of Christ. You'll never do it. If you're part of a family, if that's where it starts, and you are coming into the kingdom or you're in the kingdom, you have a responsibility to represent your family before God. Daniel said, when he was interceding, he said, we and our fathers have sinned. So he represented not only his own sin, but the sins of the fathers. If, when, if you know that you have family that's twisted up in sick stuff and perversion, you need to know that you have responsibility and authority as a priest to carry that representatively before the Lord and say, Lord, I'm, bringing, I'm taking full responsibility for the iniquities of my family. I'm taking full responsibility for what my ancestors did that caused this stuff to come into our bloodline. And I'm bringing it to, to the cross right now. And Jesus, I'm asking that you release my family from this iniquity. I'm applying the blood of Jesus to that generational debt. And I'm declaring what you declared on the cross. It's finished. It's paid in full. So that your loved ones can be set free. Because so many times when something is hanging over their head, they can't get free. Someone has to be interceding on their behalf. And I'm just telling, I'm trying to give you a key to helping to bring freedom to your people. Don't just sit in your own corner and say, well, that's their problem. I never did it, and so it's not my fault. You know what I mean? You're called to represent your family. You're, and, then, and then from there, it just goes on to other people that God brings into your realm of responsibility. Amen? You understand what I'm saying? God is good. The creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. Romans 8:19. Creation's waiting for you. 
to figure out who you are. Because you're the answer for all the suffering that creation has gone through because of the fall of Adam and everything that's compounded since then. You're the answer for that. If you've been waiting back, waiting for Jesus to be the answer to that, you need to know that Jesus sat down at the right hand of God, waiting until you make his enemies your footstool, his footstool. He's waiting for you. The ball's in your court. You might say, well, I didn't know that I was that significant. Yeah, you are. Because you're called to wake up to the reality that you are the sons and daughters of God. You know, when I look at many of you, if I know your families, I can tell the family resemblance. Because you look like your mom or your dad or a combination of both. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen my father. Well, guess what? We're in him. We are the sons and daughters of God. Right? There's a family resemblance. There's more than just a, there's more than just a resemblance, though. There's a DNA that we carry as his sons and daughters that the creation will respond to. As we get right, we get to carry the dominion that God gave to Adam over the creation. Now, that's, that's stuff you didn't learn in Sunday school. But it's stuff that people are waking up to now that we need to know. Here's, here's some thoughts I jotted down on that. God the Father is so confident that the nature of his Son in us will prevail over evil. The nature of his Son in us. If we're born again children of God, there's new nature in us. Now, I don't know how much room you've given your new nature but it's designed to become who you really are so that you can leave that old nature completely behind. That thing was put out of commission at the cross. So if, if you're a born-again child of God, there's a new nature that you get to live into, and God does not have a plan B to set in motion to save man and his creation. The answer is already in you. Not only will our new nature and identity prevail over sin. What is sin? Well, I'm not just talking about actions when I talk about sin. I'm talking about what uh, uh, one of my spiritual fathers used to call the sin factory. The sin nature. See, we're, we're, we're sometimes in, in our culture, we've gotten so used to just dealing with sin as acts that we have to ask forgiveness for, not realizing there's a sin factory that Jesus put out of commission at the cross. A sin nature that is no longer legal to be alive in you. When he said it's finished, it was done. That old nature was gone. Your faith declares it to be so. Reckon yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive to God, it tells us in, in, in uh, Romans 6. How do we reckon ourselves to be dead to sin? By faith. Your faith comes into agreement with what Jesus did for you. And says, I'm dead to that. That's not who I am anymore. 
That's my old identity. That's my old nature. That no longer has any dominion over me. Right? Not only will our new nature and identity prevail over sin, it will also empower us to prevail over Satan and all his works. You're more powerful than the devil. When you're in Christ. Outside of Christ, you might want to turn tail and run from him. Because he's bigger than you. In Christ, you're bigger than he is. You've got more authority than he does. Amen? Dominion over the earth is realized by those who have come into their identity in Christ and are living by the power of grace. Grace has been so watered down. Grace is the power to live a supernatural life. It's life more abundantly. That's what Jesus was talking about. As we awaken to the inherent authority of our new identity in Christ, our true identity, and the power available to us through the Holy Spirit, we will also discover that we are the answer that all of creation has been waiting for. That's why what happened in Alma Longa was able to happen in Alma Longa. It's because the sons and daughters of God woke up to who they really are. And they were restored back to the dominion that they have over the earth. And the earth began to respond. And people said, and the United States sent scientists to Almalanga, Guatemala, to find out how they can grow the kind of produce that they grow down there. It's because the creation responded to the sons and daughters of God. For too long, the church of Jesus has been sitting back on their haunches waiting for Jesus to come rescue them so the planet, before the planet goes down in flames. It's time we wake up to who we are and start taking our place. Amen? I'm going to speak to some of us. Our ancestors didn't trust the Holy Spirit. Many of their descendants replaced the Holy Spirit's role with a penchant for formulas, principles, rules, and traditions. It's still a common problem today, even in the Spirit-filled community. We tend to think that if we do enough research, lean on traditions and teachings from former leaders, that we don't need fresh revelation from the Holy Spirit today. I was raised on a farm, so I still think a lot of times in agricultural terms. But cows weren't too excited about two-year-old hay. Let alone 10 or 20 or 30-year-old hay. It just didn't taste the same. Didn't have the same kind of nutritional value to it. And yet we think in the body of Christ, we can bring out 50-year-old hay and feed it to the body of Christ and expect them to be nourished by it. There's a fresh 
revelation today from the Holy Spirit that's like green grass. Jesus leads us into green pastures. Amen? With all the information that's available today on the internet, we can take that to another level. Right? We can research anyone's ministry or past and find all the dirt that's out there. It reminds me of a primary tactic of the accuser of the brethren. Find any dirt in your past or any gossip about your past to disqualify you. And I don't know about you. How many of you have a past? How many of you have done some things in your past, especially before you knew the Lord, that you're not exactly proud of today? I come from a culture where your past is always held against you. Culture I was raised in doesn't like scars on anybody. They like a spotless past. You're never really allowed to live beyond your failures. Someone was telling me of a testimony that was shared by a former high-level witch in Africa who is now uh, consulting with, uh, with leaders. But bef- when he was serving the enemy, his assignment was to stop revival anywhere it broke out in his region of Africa, which is like northern Africa or something. And his tactic was to, ident- whenever a revival would break out, he would identify the leader, research his past, research his family until he found some dirt on him that he could exploit. And he would use that to bring an accusation against the leader and bring him down. And in that process, he would kill the revival. That, those are the tactics of the accuser of the brethren. And when you use someone's past to disqualify them, you end up with a very small Bible. You might have to disqualify just about every page in the book. We certainly couldn't include David. He was a messed up dude, right? Or Paul the Apostle. Or Peter. A lot of these guys. You couldn't. You have to disqualify most of the writers of Scripture. I see the Holy Spirit researching your past. And you know what He's doing? He's finding your shining moments that He can memorialize. And there's a hall of faith in heaven that those moments are recorded in. As most of you know, I've got a sordid past. Before I knew the Lord, I was a drug addict. My life was a mess. 
I was a broken individual. And I'd like to be able to say that when I met the Lord, I never made any mistakes after that. But that's not true either. I've made mistakes. I've learned from my mistakes. I've grown from my mistakes. And through a process where the Holy Spirit would lead me on. And, uh, and the Holy Spirit is my constant encourager. In fact, when Jesus introduced the role of the Holy Spirit to his disciples, he called him the helper or the comforter. The Greek word is parakletos. And it's the same, if you used it in a legal sense, it would be the same term that would be used for a defender in a courtroom. He's the one who defends us. He's the one who fights for us. He's the one who protects us. He's the one who comforts us. When the accuser of the brethren comes against the, the, the sons and daughters of God, you know, he's, he's the prosecutor. I'm not trying to cast aspersions at prosecuting attorneys in our culture, but that's the role that he fills. He's the prosecutor. He comes to, uh, he comes to bring accusation against you in the court of heaven before the Lord. And Jesus is our defender who stands up. And he defends us. And he offers up his blood when, when Satan brings up our past. And in, in uh, Revelation 12, it says that the accuser of, our, of the brethren accuses us before the throne of God day and night. There's someone who day and night is coming before the throne of God accusing you because of your mistakes. You might say, how does the devil get access to the throne of God? You're not going to like this. He has access through God's own people. Because Christians have access because of the blood of Jesus to come boldly to the throne of grace. And when they come to bring accusation against others, they're giving the accuser of the brethren access to the throne. God uses your broken past, your mistakes, your regrets. You know how he uses them? He uses those to bring you into a place of humility because you know who you were. And you know who you are now outside of Christ and how much you need him. And that's where grace does its finest work is in the lives of the humble. Scripture says God gives grace to the humble. It's probably the area that I've had to, to struggle the hardest is because there's still people that would like to bring accusations against me from my past. Those things have kept me in a place and brought me to a place of humility where I have to rely on the Lord and where I have to understand that it's only by his righteousness that I walk before the Lord, not my own.
The Lord told me that he can use me because of my broken past. It's what broke me and enables him to keep me in a place of humility. We could redefine some people's distrust of the Holy Spirit this way. We don't trust people's response to the Holy Spirit. We could say, well, we trust the Holy Spirit, but we don't trust how people are going to respond to him. Because some people are going to get crazy and wild and emotional and do things that embarrass the body of Christ and whatever. Well, it's really good that that's not our responsibility to take care of. You know, Jesus sent out his disciples, and they were still some pretty carnal guys. You know, they're wanting to call fire down from heaven to destroy people. They're fighting about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. Right? Jesus sent them out and told them to do all the power stuff anyway. He wasn't too intimidated by their mistakes. Because he knew that they would learn from them. That they would grow. And they would become powerful apostles that would shake the nations of the earth. Jesus is probably not as concerned about his reputation as you are. Amen? Amen. Scripture says he made him, of himself no reputation. So he knows about reputation and how, and how much it's actually worth in the kingdom. He made himself of no reputation. What a small God we serve when we can't trust the Holy Spirit to take care of messes that people make. Amen? Our control, our fear, and our accusations will never prevent people from making messes. Instead, it will create a much greater issue. That control thing is harder to deal with than the messes that immature believers make when they go out to want to do their best to serve God. Because control and witchcraft work together. And when we try to control people in situations, we're actually going to the enemy's power to try to accomplish that. We're talking about new wineskin structures. The Lord's really been ministering to us about new wineskins and uh, we need to become a new wineskin. And it became clear to me that new wineskin structures are composed of people who have become new wineskins themselves. You can't build a new wineskin structure out of old wineskins. And so we've got to have our minds renewed in order to become a part of a new wineskin. We've each, each of us has to allow the Lord to renew our minds so that we don't think the way that we used to think. So that we think through and try to see the world through a new lens that God wants to give every one of us. You know, there, I probably wouldn't see eye to eye with anyone else in this room on every issue. Some of you I disagree with more than others. And one of the people that I would disagree with the most is myself three years ago. Are you hearing me? But if I can see the world through your eyes, I'll see a perspective that I don't have by myself.
If I can see through your lens, I might see an aspect of something in the kingdom that would enrich me so much instead of judging you for thinking differently than me. Does that make sense? And we need each other's perspective if we're going to see things clearly. Because every, part, every one of us sees something that contributes to the whole. See it in a different way. My prediction is that many of the people God will use in the greatest ways in the coming great harvest of nations will be the most broken people. And we could talk about different ones in the past that were used powerfully that had such broken pasts. And, and, and not all of them were completely fixed when God used them powerfully either. Lonnie Frisbee comes to mind. I don't know how many of you know who Lonnie Frisbee was, but he was one of the catalysts for the Jesus movement back in the 70s. God used that guy so amazingly. And yet he was one of the most broken people and he, he made some real mess-ups even after God used him greatly. Kind of like David. Kind of like Moses. Kind of like most of the heroes of faith in Scripture made some really big screw-ups after they started serving the Lord. You know, and if God was as concerned about his reputation as we think he should be, God would make sure that all their character issues got straightened out before he used them, right? Right? I think God elevates something on top of the character trait list that we've kept close to the bottom. That's faith. I challenge you to find churches today that have lists of character traits and, and find faith at the top of the list. When God told Joshua to cross over, over Jordan and to take over the land of Canaan, he said, only be of good courage. In other words, I think what he was saying is all the other stuff we can work out, but this is the one thing that you're going to need in order to fulfill your assignment. You're going to have to walk in courage and faith. Because you're going to be facing giants. And we're in a place today where we're facing giants. And if you don't find courage and faith to move forward, you're not going to be able to fulfill the assignment that God has on your life. I know this is kind of an old drum that I beat, but I told Steve, I think the Lord's called him and I to and a partner together, and he's called to comfort the afflicted, and I'm called to afflict the comfortable. Because <laughs> there's something in me that's not comfortable when people are getting too comfortable. Let's push out of our comfort zone. I think when we stay in our comfortable place, we prematurely age. We lose our edge, and we don't live into our kingdom assignment. Amen? Do something that takes some courage and faith to do. 
In Matthew 28, 18, Jesus came and spoke to the disciples after his resurrection. He said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go, therefore. Jesus has all authority, and because of that, he's telling us to go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. I've heard somebody say that proves that we're not supposed to fly in airplanes because he said, lo, I'm with you always. That's not what he was saying. If you need to fly somewhere to fulfill your assignment, you need to know the Lord's going to fly with you. Amen? In John 20, verse 21, Jesus said, As the Father sent me, so I'm sending you. So the same way the Father sent him, he's now sending us to finish his assignment. And one of those assignments is yours. And you may not be called to go to other nations. You may not even be called to stand on the street corner and preach or do anything like that. But you're called to something in the kingdom. God's got an assignment for you. And you need to be willing to live into what that is for you. Colossians 2.8 says, Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit. According to the tradition of men according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. So in Christ, you have all authority to fulfill everything God called you to. He is the head of all principality and power, and he lives in you. So because of Christ in you, you have authority. And I don't have time to finish this today, but because of the Holy Spirit, you have power. Because he's the one who clothes you with power from on high. Like I said, I'll finish this some other time, but because of your relationship with the Father, you get to be a part of his global plan because he's the great administrator of everything that's happening on the planet for the kingdom, and he's the one who connects it all, administrates it all, and makes it work. And, and, and it's, it's kind of interesting, but there's uh, in, in 1 Corinthians 12... Verse uh, 4 through 6, you see the Trinity involved in what the Holy Spirit was, of what's really going on for the kingdom today. It says, there's diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it's the same God who works all in all. So you have the Spirit, you have, you have Jesus, and you have the Father all very actively involved in what's going on in the earth today. 
The Holy Spirit is working in the gifts and the, in the demonstrations of power. Jesus is giving us authority, and he's presiding over the fivefold ministries of the church and the leadership that that provides, and the Father is administrating it all and working it all into his great plan. And it's interesting because the word for diversities of activities, speaking of the Father, only occurs twice in the New Testament, that Greek word, activities. And it's used a little further in the same chapter where it talks about the working of miracles. So I believe the Father is very involved in what we're getting ready to experience, and that's an outbreak of miracles. Because he knows what we need exactly. He knows what we need to bring the body of Christ out of its slumber. To wake up the body of Christ and to, and to engage the body of Christ in fulfilling our assignment to the nations. It's going to take the miracle working power of God. If there's been a time when I'm hearing a cry from the Holy Spirit for miracles to be released to the church again, it's today. I hope that it doesn't take us getting to a place of desperation to where miracles are the only answer to any situation we have left before we're actually able to begin to engage in faith and to walk in the miraculous. But it may take that. We've gotten our lives so kind of propped up, fenced in, protected, insured. You know, retirement plans, everything. We've got everything so figured out in our culture that we really don't need the miraculous much, right? So God's getting ready to raise up some really broken people who that's all they have. To demonstrate the power of the kingdom to us. Amen? How are we going to receive them? Are we going to scrutinize them and reject them? If we don't get past what we can see with these eyes and start discerning things by the Spirit, we're going to miss it. says of Jesus that he, will, he did not judge by the sight of his eye nor decide by the hearing of his ear but in righteousness he judges I'm so glad when Jesus looks at me he doesn't judge me by appearance or by what he hears but he judges righteously and he does the same for every one of you Let's, let's stand. I just feel like I need to pray for all of us. Father, right now, I just thank you for all of your sons and daughters. The enemy would love nothing better than to be able to paralyze the body of Christ with accusation, with regret, with if-onlys and what-ifs. 
and the idea that we can never recover what was lost. Acts chapter 3 speaks of the times of restoration of all things. I thank you, Lord, we're in a time of the restoration of all things. Everything that's been lost. Father, wherever we've lost our reputation, we give that to you. Jesus, we identify with you because scripture says you made of yourself no reputation. Sometimes we've held our reputation too high. We thought it was something that it's not. We've cared more what people have thought about us than what you think about us. So we repent for that. We ask you to forgive us. Everyone in this room has been struggling with a sense of failure from mistakes in the past, before or after you became a Christian. We ask today, Jesus, that you would remove the stigma, that you would remove the shame, that you remove the sense of failure. We give all of that to you right now. The only perfection, Jesus, that we see is in you. We thank you that in you, we are the righteousness of God in Christ. And wherever we've thought we've had to judge ourselves harshly or to judge our brothers and sisters, we ask you to forgive us. Your word says there's one judge. And it's certainly not us. So Jesus, we ask today that you would help us to see through your eyes. That we wouldn't focus on people's failures, mistakes, flaws, but that we would see what you see, the treasure that you see when you look at the field. Would you renew our minds, Jesus? And help us to see one another the way you see us. And then would you help us to see ourselves the way you see us? Right now we choose to forgive ourselves for our mistakes, for our failures, for our broken past, And we ask, Lord, that you would lift up a standard against the enemy wherever he's come with accusation. And that you would release your people into a place of freedom. That we could walk in our true identity as your sons and our daughters. And your daughters in Jesus' name. And Jesus, today we're asking that you would release the body of Christ into a place of miracles. Father God, we're asking that you would personally get involved in the operations of the church and of every ministry. And from today on, every person would begin to recognize when they're walking in their purpose because the miraculous begins to break out. Because the miraculous is connected to our purpose. 
Let every person in this place recognize when they're stepping into their purpose because that's when the miraculous begins to break out around them and through them. In Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Let the miracle-working power of God become commonplace in the body of Christ again. Let the body of Christ become a city of refuge that those who are in trouble can run to and find help. Let those who need miracles know where they can come to and find miracles because the world can't give them what only the body of Christ can. We thank you for that, Jesus. We thank you for that, Jesus. Amen.